Steve. What's up, dude? A Healthy Dose is a bi-weekly podcast hosted by Steve Kraus, healthcare partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, and Trevor Price, CEO of Oxian Partners. Honey talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. The guys talk to leaders from various aspects of healthcare and cover personal stories, entrepreneurship, investing, and have a few laughs, many at each other's expense. Well, we both enjoy the art of the conversation. We both have faces that are made for radio. So the- At least eyebrows for me. <laughs> Double chin for me. <laughs> we get a lot of ones right, but we get a lot of ones wrong. One of the most interesting conversations I've had in a long time. If you pardon me, I'd like to say First of all, for listeners who don't go to J.P. Morgan, it's a pretty unique environment. The event is a banking event. Public companies and companies that aspire to be public present in a hotel. There's like the world of suits that are going to the hotel. Yeah, there's a bunch of like hedge funds yeah. and investment managers that sit in the hotel. And then there's an ecosystem of 50 to 100,000 people who converge Literally. in San Francisco. They charge $200 per hour per table in hotel lobbies. I'm not bullshitting that. They literally charge you to sit at a table. They do. Everything's jammed. The hotels are sold out. The entire ecosystem the entire converges, converges here. here. And for guys like us and, and our three panelists today, Tom and Christine and Chrissy, it is 12 to 15 meetings a day. All consuming. Starting at 6 a.m. And yet the energy and the adrenaline and the, the, the happenings is like no other week in any other industry that I've ever been a yeah, part of. I love it personally. It's a great way to start the year, I think. I always look forward to it. You, I do too. I love doing our JPM news panels. I think great. they're a great way to end what's usually a very long week. And I think we had three really great guests on today's yeah. podcast. It's really experts. great to have a great investor, a great entrepreneur in Christine, and a really great reporter in Chrissy to be able to shoot the shit with. And this is the classic shoot the shit forum right yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll talk a lot about 2017. We'll look forward to 2018 and hopefully you'll enjoy the JPM News Panel Podcast. Here, Thursday of JP Morgan. Last year when we did this, Trevor, I think we had drinks for our News Panel Podcast. Yeah, it's, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Well, first so. of all, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And I think last year was really maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it says something about this year, a little more somber, whatever, we're, we're all drinking water. But I uh, want to welcome our guest, repeat JPM News Panel guest, Chrissy Farr, who is CNBC's prolific health tech uh, reporter. Uh, we have Christine Lemke, who's one of my favorite entrepreneurs, a friend, co-founder of Evidation. So thanks, Christine. And then Tom Rogers, who I think I've known for a long time. Not um, nearly as long as I have, though. Not nearly. He's your roommate, is that yeah, right? exactly. College roommate. Yeah. So we're going to vote part you of still the- still owe me rent. All right, well, so Saturday. Tom Rogers, who is the founder and managing director of McKesson Ventures. So, Tom, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. All right, so JPM's done. Most of us are headed back home soon. First question, what's the biggest story or thing coming out of JPM 2018 in your mind? Ooh, I would say the biggest shift for me compared to last year. Last year felt like very more hype driven than this year. This year felt more kind of people are a little bit more in touch with reality. I totally agree. I that. actually had some honest conversations with VCs about portfolio companies they were worried about this year. Um, there's also a lot of pointing fingers. Um, you know, as a, I think there's been some good journalism in the past 18 months. 
of just kind of here are the realities of what's really happening inside companies. You might have had a small part to do with that. <laughs> Uh, I've had a few, but there's, you know, there's been staff, yes. Lisco have done some really great investigations. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I feel like that's meant something this year. And, and instead of saying, hey, look at me, a lot of companies are saying, hey, don't look at me. <laughs> look elsewhere. No, I, totally I, I agree very that. much agree that the energy was different this year than in past years. It I, felt I, grounded. Yeah. And maybe I, that's what I was saying about coffee versus drinks. It felt a little yeah. more grounded than celebratory. Yeah. But anyways, what about I, you guys? I think there's Tale of Two Cities, though, because in the biotech world, which I know we're not mainly talking about here, I think things are as exciting there as they've been for a long time. Yeah. The issue in our side of the house is that the kind of liquidity path isn't really paved yet. On the biotech side, it's paved and getting shorter and more fruitful by the minute. So like on the eve of JP Morgan, you see that big deal, that impact biomedicine yeah, deal. Yeah, $7 billion. Yeah. On the same day that Chrissy writes or publishes one of her articles on Practice Fusion, and that kind of set a tone. I agree. It was a very grounded week. I think people are realizing that, you know, we need to really calibrate with the pace of adoption in this ecosystem. I, I, I ran into that. someone the other morning on that exact topic who said he had just met with a venture capitalist who had six or seven IPOs last year yeah. in the biotech world. Oh, yeah. Biot I mean, the Celgene acquisition, right? Right. They took in $22 million in, what, October on a post of probably like 60-ish. And what was that deal? One seven billion, but yeah. but one one up yeah. front. Yeah, one up front, it's and then some. One, one. I'm saying sales. one. That's one yeah. billion to the yeah. listeners. Yeah. That's how yeah. cross counts. Just yeah. one. That's how you roll. On the digital health side, you know, the elephant in the room was the practice fusion acquisition, which was a bear. Yeah, let's talk um, about. Did that anyone go to their party? They, they had, had a party. They had the audacity to throw a no. JP Morgan party. Yeah. Did they really? Yeah, yeah. they did. Wow. <laughs> I know. I oh. asked, I saw you in the streets, oh Chrissy, God. and I asked if you were going. I think I'll skip that one. Wow. <laughs> seriously. I'm seriously. Yeah. Wouldn't you cancel that party? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I kind of like that. It's, a, it's like a wake. <laughs> yeah. I want to stay on practice fusion for a second because maybe it's three or four years ago, all the talk was about these big glory rounds of funding that Oscar did, ZocDoc did, and practice fusion. They really set the tone within the last five years of these massive rounds of funding. And what you see now is you see Practice Fusions, you know, that story's been told. But it's interesting that both Oscar and ZocDoc seem to have benefited by raising large amounts of capital that allowed them to withstand challenges to their business model. I think both companies, rightfully so, have gone under the radar screen a little bit. They were hype machines before. They've gone to actually become real businesses. And they seem to be executing real turnarounds from what I can tell. There's a lot of good momentum for those two businesses. You're saying ZocDoc. You look a little perplexed by Trevor's, your former roommate's comment there. No, uh, I, so I agree with Trevor that they are building interesting businesses, that they have a lot of momentum. And I think they are carving out new space or at least a reinvention of a space. I still think their valuations are totally disconnected with where if they were going to exit anytime soon, what that, where that would end up. That's fair. And I think practice- But they're heading in the right direction. Yes, yes. It's going to be a long time before they grow into those valuations, not because they're not going to have a good value proposition and they're executing well. It's just that they got way ahead of themselves on valuation and probably burn rate because they were thinking this is a shorter road. Could anybody buy Oscar? What? Is there a buyer out there for Oscar? Sure, but look at the post of their last round. I mean, it would right. be a painful buy. Yeah. yeah. Of course, there are tons of buyers for Oscar. I have trouble thinking that there's going to be a big public market appetite 
for a health plan, That's given right. all the uncertainty, you know, related to the exchanges. Yeah. Who do you think is the next company from the states to test the public markets? I think GoodRx could be the most interesting one. Yeah. GoodRx is amazing. Yeah. yeah. They're, health they're health mostly owned by oh, ca- private yeah. equity, right? GoodRx. This time last year, I think everyone was predicting that Health Catalyst was going to go end of last year or the beginning of this year. And I think they're still really well positioned. I've stopped hearing that they're going to be as near term. But, but that could be a sign of something, right? Usually when people go really quiet. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's a solid bet. I think GoodRx is the one you continue to hear like, wow, they're, they're crushing it. They're crushing it. They're producing a lot of cash. Yeah. They're, you know. And I don't know that, you know, someone's going to go in and buy them. I think IPO makes more sense. It's such a good example of healthcare IT. Like, it's not even that fancy. Just do the simple yeah. thing, right? It's like taking, you know, discount, you know, offline paper prescription, you know, cards and turn them digital. I mean, But like, they figured out how to engage consumers. And right. that's, that's one of the holy grails that this entire industry. Well, that's because that's with. the first line of reaching into your yeah. pocket is, is the prescription drugs that you're getting hit for, right? That's the first dollar. Yep. that people feel. So it's just, it's a note to self, just focus on the simple stuff. Last year was, we were talking about the mergers of the four big health plans. Those all got busted up this year. Did anyone, the thing that I think has emerged for me is like, what happens to Humana? Anyone hearing anything? Uh, Are they become a buyer? I think people have been predicting for a while that we're going to see a lot of the big incumbents finally step up and become acquirers of all these new and interesting But is that the path to liquidity that you said? You said it hadn't been paved. I'm not sure it's even been identified. Yeah, I I think the issue is most of these companies don't have scale. You know, as someone who, you know, sits alongside a a really big company, we need to look at assets that are going to move the dial. You know, yes, we're looking for new innovations that will differentiate us, but at the same time, there's always the question of, is this going to move the dial? And I think there's a argument that is often winning inside these companies of, you know what, let's just wait. Let's just wait and see. And they're still trying to figure out what they're going to be when they grow up. And they're still trying to iterate and figure out their pricing and figure out their their business model. Let's wait and see because that's probably best done in the wild. And I think you could say that about a lot of this generation. That it's not that they're not interested. It's not that they don't see this is these guys have competencies that we're going to want down the road. But I think wait and see and let them iterate themselves is usually winning the Winning the winning argument. I just think if you've just watched United by DeVita and you've just watched Aetna and CVS, Anthem's answer can't be, I'm going to go pick up Collective. Anthem's answer can't be, I'm going to go pick up like ZocDoc or something. You know, that wouldn't make any sense anyway, but you know what I mean? It's like they can't go into that's a, like a That's like a pimple a on the elephants, the you know what? I mean, do you see Anthem or others building Optum type businesses, right? Because to me, the single biggest story at this JP Morgan was the Optum acquisition of healthcare partners. Like everyone is talk. I talk to health system CEOs who are saying this is our number one competitor. They do we get? Everywhere. Do we do we join them versus fight them? I'm talking to health plan CEOs who are saying this is our number one competitor. Hmm. Like Optum is now the competitor to everyone in the industry. Yeah, they're the Amazon of the space, honestly. Without question. So, so what what does the industry do about that? I'm glad I'm not running that company. (laughs) You're glad you're not running Optum or you're glad you're not running the company that has to deal with Optum? No, I'm glad I'm not running the company that has to deal with Optum, honestly. But Uh, most of them are clients of Optum. No, I get it. That's the craziest thing about this business. I mean, that's why I call them the Amazon of healthcare. It's like you look at what Amazon did in a lot of other industries. They, you know, ate their clients' businesses. They Mm -hmm. ate their partners' businesses. Mm -hmm. Like, slowly, methodically, not even slowly sometimes, but very methodically. What about the actual Amazon? 
Are you guys hearing about them? I heard so much less about Amazon, I, Apple, and... I think that's overblown, honestly. It's like, um, so they, they got licenses in 14 states. That's not new news, honestly. And, and most they need of those, those licenses for device, for device, device distribution, stuff. not drug yeah. distribution. Yeah, and so I know it's like kind of looking in the tea leaves and trying to you know figure out what they're going to do. But they're not making any what I would call aggressive moves in the space at all. Like I can't think of a single example of something where I'm like, oh, Amazon is getting into healthcare. I was gonna say I think they are just loving all the free strategic, totally. strategic totally advice. Totally amazing. I think we've turned them. I think yeah. the media has turned this into a bigger story. Than I, I, I think yeah. they can be very patient on moving into the actual kind of totally. pharmacy supply chain. But I think the moves you're more likely to see are gonna be them getting more involved and having a role to play in kind of consumer navigation around healthcare and also maybe figuring out how they can develop a value proposition for pharma because those are the two assets that Couldn't you see them buy GoodRx? I could. Yeah. I would not surprise. Yeah. Me. Right? I mean yep. and then you're in the game. I mean, you're you're at the first part of the game. You're at the game that makes most sense for them, right, which is the consumer engagement. You know, gen mostly probably generics. I assume good is really around generics and some low branded price drugs. I think but like, how about one medical? Amir Dan Rubin? I heard his, his presentation was overflowing. I think the industry's looking mm -hmm. at what retail clinics are doing. I, I saw notes from the Advocate Aurora merger that Advocate bought a bunch of retail clinics from Walgreens and is driving a ton of revenue. You mm -hmm. know, what's One Medical doing? I think someone buys them this, this coming year. I just hear they're doing pretty well at this point. I mean, I expected to hear the opposite at JPM, but everybody I told you says they're in a good spot. So anything in retail health is doing really well right now, right? It's not just one medical. Urgent care companies are doing great, right? I mean, there's a reason that Edna merged with CVS, right? I mean, you know, it's because people are trying to get to the consumer and they're trying to get to the first dollar healthcare. And I think people, and this is a theme I heard throughout this week, people are really excited about everything outside the hospital. Right. Right. And, and ER visits declining, inpatient utilization yep. declining. Mm. You're the CEO of a health system. What are you doing? Well, there was a, you know, I said the tale of two cities. It's really three cities. If you sat in on, you know, any of the health system presentations on the track, it was a, you know, a constant drumbeat of... It felt like the practice fusion party. <laughs> it was like, look at all the wonderful things we're doing. And there is a lot of, you know, there's, you know, pilot-itis that has, that has swept, swept the nation, but... There's Christine's, a lot of the, like, Christine's like shaking in the yeah. corner with pilots. PTSD. But then you get to their financials and you see a story of declining visits, it's not bad pretty. debt that's mounting. And, you know, it's no wonder we're seeing, you know, I'm, I'm not sure merging is the way out of that problem, but the action is outside the house. I totally agree. You know, the int most interesting thing is there's a couple companies focused on this idea of hospital at home. And, you know, up until this year, they really haven't taken off. This is the idea that you literally can identify people in the emergency room who are not really severely acute, but who, like, you can treat pneumonia in the home, right? So they'll basically take them out of the hospital. They'll have a nurse. They'll have, a, you know, all the DME and RX they need. But they'll basically have the stay, the hospital stay, instead of in the hospital in the home. To your point, you know, it's just amazing that we're at that place, <laughs> that the systems of care who are so sclerotic and used to treating inpatient, right, are willing to consider to go outpatient. One of the health system CEOs that I spent time with, and they run a health plan, a successful health plan, said one of the most frequent conversations he's having is other health systems coming and talking to them about their health plan, you know, basically being the backbone for providers launching and building health plans. So I wonder whether the whole, like, devoted, bright, clover, Oscar, like let's build these highly valued, successful new health mm -hmm. plans 
is an area that hospital systems, hospital CEOs are looking to diversify mm-hmm. their way out of the declining inpatient utilization in ER visits, revenue problems that they're having. Yeah, I'm not sure that diversifying into being a health plan is going to be a winning path for the majority. There will be some that are very successful with it. I agree with that. Why do you say that, Tom? I think the core economics of being a health plan are challenging and will only get more challenging in the foreseeable future. You know, and there's so much uncertainty related to the current administration on that front that I don't know that that would be. And health systems are pretty risk adverse. Obviously, a lot have taken on risk. A lot have launched health plans. But I don't know that you know, merging with those new generation of health plans is a great idea for either. I just think the skill sets are so, it's like, they're so polar opposite in some ways too. But if you're an IDN and you run a successful health plan, and you can basically take that infrastructure but and capabilities. First of all, there's and, not many that fit yeah, that description. Successful yeah, yeah. How many are there are some big ones. That no, are there are some. some big ones. But the majority are not going to be able to pull off both of those core competencies. So let me come back to this idea of, you know, Christine and I were at an event, Rock Health event, which we've talked earlier about. We appreciate building the ecosystem. And they had a category of best health tech IPO of the year. Most of the awards had several nominees in the category. There was one nominee and one winner in Best Health Tech IPO of the Year last year, which was Tabula Rasa, which, sorry to the Tabula Rasa team, I didn't really know what they were. What changes that? Are we talking about good exits that, you know, VCs would be really, yeah. you know, good excited exits about? That are we talking about, VCOs like, excited exits? About. <laughs> no. I think it's going to be better than last year. That's what I, I think I mean. they're going to be much. exits. <laughs> it's turning that, here, this is how I think about it. It's turning the let's say $20 billion that's been invested in companies over the last four years into $60 billion. Not going to happen this year. I mean, not going to happen for a while. But I, I don't right. think the public markets is what's going to turn the tide in our space. It's going to be the incumbents, the large. But in every single, you know, we venture investors, entrepreneurs, we seek the sort of alpha, right? And in every other sector of the economy, including biotech, by the way, it's when the public markets open up that things really get good, right? Because then you have a best alternative to negotiated offer, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you can say to Optum, yeah, I'm not public. taking your, you know, 7X multiple. I'm going public, right? And then you get a bidding war, right? And so, like, that's a problem here, I think, until we have that point. Mm. And why I brought up GoodRx earlier on is because they generate cash flow. That gives them immunity to a lot of the uncertainties, which I think have frozen the public markets in the healthcare IT, healthcare tech-enabled service space. I agree with you. We, you know, public market is what creates the, the pull and the sucking sound. But I think at the same time, you've got the large incumbents who have been, for the most part, sitting on the sidelines. You know, McKesson made a really large acquisition last year and has been one of the more acquisitive folks, kind of quietly, I would say. But I think the likes of, certainly Optum, back to your earlier question, I, will some of the other payers start to, you know, Aetna tried it for a long time and, with and, and pulled back. Yeah. I think some of the other payers, will they go more down Well, that Cigna path? did writer, right? Yep. Which yeah. surprised almost everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no one saw that coming in the venture world. I think people need to look really carefully at the healthcare partners acquisition, because I think we're gonna see, this goes to the question of health systems becoming payers. I think you're gonna see the payers become care delivery businesses. Yes. And they're gonna skip buying hospitals because they don't wanna end up having to be REITs. And so the thing that I think is interesting is if you look at Optum, they have an urgent care business. They've got a surgical ambulatory surgery center business, and they own capitated and non-capitated primary care businesses. And so if you put those three things together, you have a virtual health system, right? You have most of the components of what a health system does, except you don't have the real estate debt that you've got to cover. If I had a dollar for every time someone said their business was powered by AI and ML, <laughs> I would have, I'd be flying business class home and I'm not. 
Yeah, so. but if I, if, I had a, if I had a dollar for every time, you know, 10 years ago, people said my business was powered by a NoSQL database, right, or data store, I should yeah. say, not a database. Like, but tell I mean, us what Evidation does AI and then talk like, about AI and you know, ML in healthcare right now. I wouldn't start a saying. company without a data store now or a spreadsheet, right? right? So people shouldn't be starting companies without AI behind them. And I know that's what it, they all talk about because that's what VCs had responded to maybe a year ago, and now you guys are all fatigued. But Evidation has built a technology and services platform to understand how our everyday interactions that we're capturing on devices, wearables, your phone, Internet of Things, relates to your health outcomes. So we're measuring health in everyday life, we call it. Is AI and ML a core component of that? Of course, but for the very unsexy job of denoising data right. oftentimes, right? And that's why I say like it's sort of ludicrous to talk about your company in terms of AI, it's like, great, do you have a data store? <laughs> like, too? <Yeah. laughs> Good job. And so, yes, every day we use it at work and it's a tool just like, you know, everything else that our company is a tool, including whatever, our CRM system. So you just wouldn't go to work without so almost, it anymore. It, from the, your description, almost you feel like AI and ML is almost commoditized in terms of you have to have it. It is what it is. Yeah. Whereas I mean, I most companies I'm talking like, about are either, I, I can't tell you the number of people who said, well, our business is moving into the blockchain. I'm like, oh, uh, well, what is I don't that? even think they know what, don't even. Don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know what start on that one. <laughs> I mean, I heard blockchain, yeah. I heard AI, ML. Well, I think the interesting thing about the discussion around AI, ML in the venture world is that where people went early was, let's apply AI, ML to solve clinical problems, right? Whether it be radiology reads or pathology reads or, you know, you name it, right? And I think those are challenging. Those look more like medical device companies with you got to get FDA approval and you got to actually then influence the doctor's practices and what have you. But then there's a whole set of AI ML that not only powers businesses, but also then just does all the dirty work of healthcare. And I think it's those businesses that do the dirty work of healthcare, you know, like helping doctors fill out a soap note or, you know, improving the operations of a hospital, right? It's sort of behind the scenes, not doing clinical, but really operational and efficiency of healthcare. I think those, those businesses I've seen this year get traction because they don't have the clinical bar. They don't have to change the practice that doctors do. So if, if you went back five or six years ago, and sadly I was looking at digital health five or six years ago, you would have encountered a whole bunch of companies which were saying, we're gonna use big data and AI <laughs> to change the world. And finally, smart people who understand technology are gonna focus on healthcare, which is using technology from the 1970s. You check in on those companies now, and most of them have narrowed their focus around something, to your point, Steve, administrative or operational, right. like risk coding. But those that have tried to go after clinical decision-making have totally bent their pick. But for that to change, you need both the, another generation of practitioners mm -hmm. to come up, because the current generation of practitioners, you really, it's, it's a big behavior change to start relying on this stuff as part of your workflow. But younger docs who are coming out, like they assume, right. they assume I'm gonna, of course I'm gonna use all these tools and the technology needs to get, because there's now risk, clinical risk and liability associated with it, the technology really needs to be pretty foolproof right. to work. So that's gonna come, but for now, I think the commercial traction is on financial and operations. By the way, I've seen some of the data like you have, it's like really good, right? And so, you know, if my mom had cancer, like I would want yeah. her scan read, I'd want my scan read, by actually a machine, it's just better. The data shows it's yep. better. Every company I see shows it's better. One of the things I think may have to happen on the clinical side, and I hate this term, but I'm in Silicon Valley, so I have to use it, <laughs> is like a full stack AI powered radiology yes. company. 
right? 100%. Where you like find one of those Absolutely. entrepreneurial radiologists who says, you know what? I'm tired of reading first reads. I don't need to read first reads. Like you give me the machine, have the machine do the first read. So what you're talking about is another you know, prevalent theme. The healthcare industry, particularly on the you know, provider side, it's challenging for them to adopt technology. pure technology. Totally yeah. And most of these technologies to get adoption need to be wrapped as a service. It's not tech-enabled service, it's service-enabled tech. And you know, a lot of Silicon Valley investors who've moved into healthcare, they have an allergic reaction to the idea of throwing bodies on top of this really cool technology because it kills margin. The reality is we need to show the industry how to do this. So these tech companies, and you know, Docent would be an example of this, Evelyn, I would argue, would be an example of this, we're getting more and more excited about these companies that really are service companies showing the industry how to use their cutting edge technology. By the way, I'm gonna fill your inbox with deal right now. If you wanna do a full stack radiology <laughs> play, Tom Rogers and I will look at your Series A together. How about that? Yeah, there you go. You're gonna get a lot of, you're gonna get a lot of inbox. I just sent you one, by the way. Just... <laughs> really? There you go. I want a no, piece but of this. Make it happen. <laughs> and, you should this. and you should invest in Evidation. Wednesday night, JP Morgan, I'm tired as I could possibly be, but... I know what you're looking forward to doing. You're looking forward to going to SFO. Yes. And seeing your face, I your emoji. Get a, I didn't get a Bitmoji. On the health billboard. I mean, I got a Bitmoji, but they didn't put it on anything. You're not plastered across SFO. SFO, the entire San Francisco is HLTH Bitmojis. Yeah. And I didn't get one. I know. I'm not a celebrity You didn't get one either. No, oh, you right. did? I didn't. No, I didn't get one. But I, I dreamed that I'd be a celebrity. Like I walked off the plane and there'd be my eyebrows and there'd be people waiting for autographs. I think on our JP Morgan wrap-up podcast, when we talk about the big themes of JP Morgan, HLTH and the buzz that they've generated through the advertising is gonna be way up there. That's right. So if you want to go to HLTH, we give you a promotion code. We got a promotion code for you, ladies and gentlemen. A healthy dose 150. Yep, you get $150 off. I'm telling you, there's gonna be between the rain in San Francisco, the fact that you gotta pay $200 an hour per table in hotel lobbies to have meetings, everyone's gonna say, screw JP Morgan, we're going to HLTH now. It's Vegas, it's gonna be warm, you know, the whole Vegas thing, you and me, cocktails, we're gonna have an amazing podcast. We hope to see you there. Yeah, we hope to see you there. So what else, what else should we be talking about? Pharma, 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 pharma. I was at dinner last night. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, one of the VCs was basically like, last year and the year before it was all payer, employer, payer, employer, provider, maybe some providers sprinkled in. And this year it's all pharma, pharma, pharma. And if you went to the Royvent presentation, I didn't go, but somebody took really great notes for me. They're betting the farm on improving the, the development process specifically, and then followed by the commercial process. In order to do that, you have to like dismantle a bunch of stuff in the way clinical research is done. And so you're gonna see big dollars go into clinical, improving the clinical trial experience, doing phase four differently, et cetera. And, and pharma has the money to do this. Yeah, They're I totally agree to with this. Obliterate. This is a really good point. I'm glad you brought this <laughs> yeah. up. I think um, the interesting thing, I totally agree with this, and, and it's they've got lots of cash, right? These guys have a lot of cash. And a lot of motivation And by the way, right they now. know how to a use technology. ton of and motivation. They know how to use technology. Right I actually <laughs> heard a pharma company this year tell me that they are interested in new technologies that can help them fail faster. Yeah, and I, that was, sure, that was like Absolutely. directly a, like a page taken That's from smart, Silicon Valley. smart person. Yeah. Our, That's a smart person, I agree. Our agenda for my team this year, I'd say two thirds of it was pharma facing companies. By design. Pharma services. Pharma services and both on, you know, how can we reinvent and optimize the clinical trial totally. on the drug discovery side or 
now that we're all you know moving towards more narrowly targeted high price therapeutics, mm -hmm. you need to figure out how to get a heck of a lot closer to the patient. Absolutely. And figure out, are they taking their meds? Is it working? Gather the data. That's what's required as we move towards this kind of new business model for pharma. And that is a, that's a, they will adopt faster, they will pay more, they will go from pilot to expansion a lot faster. They're the most commercial yeah. of anybody in the healthcare enterprise. The interesting thing is, I think, two points I make. One is I think, again, typical Silicon Valley tech investors, traditional, have kind of missed the boat on where to focus. Because if you look a lot and they've actually focused on the discovery side, i.g. identifying new hits, Right. And, you know, first of all, that's not a lot of dollars spent there. I mean, in proportion yeah, to the totally. development, clinical trials and commercial side, Tom, that you were talking about. Secondly, there's still like a serendipity of biology. Right. There's still a lot that we don't know about biology. And so to actually truly automate that process is hard. Whereas I'm surprised more folks haven't gone after the actual trial side. And secondly, these guys who have done drug discovery, I think they're going to have to become full stack. Oh, absolutely. Because I think they're ultimately no going to have to become drug development companies you know, and develop the targets that they've identified and the hits they identified. I mean, I was looking at an AI, a, you know, computational drug discovery company, AI company, presents at JP Morgan, and literally they showed like their target pipeline and everybody's eyes in the room just like rolled behind their head. It's like everybody has 50 targets to chase. Like right. who cares? Right. So these guys, if they think their targets are actually promising, are going to have to develop them way further than, than they, they think. ever thought they and would. And those are so, those become more like biotech companies. That's expensive. Yeah. So what's what's the deal this year at JPM with the Grail and Freenomes of the world? Because that was a big topic for last year, Did given how much did. Grail had raised. And nobody seems to be talking about it this year. They've been quiet. So we're an investor in Grail. I'll just, just say that. And I think that space, obviously, as the name implies, you know, the holy grail is can you have a simple blood test that tells you whether you've got pre-symptomatic cancer. Freedoms, that's similar. No, no, I know it's the same story. And there's, there's a, a lot of others. And I think the reason they raise so much money because ultimately this is an area where size matters dramatically. You need to do really big trials mm -hmm. because you need, there's a really high bar you have to clear on sensitivity and specificity. Yeah. So you need to be able to really tease out the signal and train an algorithm to do that. I think the data, you'll see more coming out, but I think some of the stuff that's already coming out of academia, the science is there. It, mm. It's working. I think there'll be some questions on what's the business model that this implies. Mm. It'll, it's going to really change the nature of oncology care. Right now, all the money and everything is, and all the delivery system is focused on late-stage cancer. I totally agree with that, yeah. And so what's going to happen when you now have you know, an influx of patients who are like, hey, I have a really small tumor. It's going to overwhelm primary care and, and yep. oncology Because it's going to be treated in the community, but, back but, to the hospital comment. But I, I will just say, and, and we're, we're involved with Freenome, if you've ever met Gabe and Riley, like, who doesn't want these guys to be wickedly successful? Like, these guys believe they're going to eradicate cancer. And, like, that's what we're in this for. Yeah, you need people right? like that. Th this is what we come to J.P. Morgan and get our asses kicked for over the last four days is to try to help companies like that and like Grail and these others, like what you're doing at Evidation, actually do this. So I'm super optimistic about the science and about what, you know, my concern, and this goes maybe puts this into Chrissy's boat, is like these are the companies that have the huge dreams and have the huge orientation around really fundamentally impacting society where we've seen, whether it's at Theranos or others, the hype cycle. The hype cycle can huge. be big in these things. And you know Grail and I know Freenome, and I think these guys are grounded and real and yep. very legitimate. I just hope, for the sake of all of us, that these companies that have the weight of society on their shoulders to be successful know how to manage that weight, because that's substantial weight. 
And it makes people, I think we've seen in the past, makes people make bad decisions. Well, I'm torn as this guy. The only thing I'll point, I, I, I like those guys too, and I'm, I very much hope they're successful because it would truly revolutionize care. That is why we do this. My only worry, and, and I'm curious about, Christine, your view is like, I have two sides about this, because they're raising at big valuations. Like that are way, way ahead of like There's where, some presumed success. So, so my, so, but Welcome I don't blame venture capital. Like I don't blame entrepreneurs because obviously it's less dilution, right? But I just, that's the only thing I worry about with those companies is that the, to your point earlier, it's going to take well, look, I, if, time I, I, to grow into that valuation. It, it's, it's priced for no error right. in execution. Yeah. That's like exactly. all those things are priced without any supposition of error. And that's like kind of scary. I would just, that's I think right. those I think two more companies, upside. Yeah. those two companies, if successful, are going to be valued like biotech, as we talked about earlier. And there's a lot of upside in those valuations still. Sure. I think that's the difference between, you know, them and the high flyers in the digital health space. I think that's fair. So I got a question for you guys. I feel like in my space that there are just more bad companies. Maybe it's just my view of things because I'm so in it. But like every year there's been like a Theranos and then there was outcome and like it seems like there's one after another. Is, there, is it because of these valuations or is there something about the space that's attracting these sorts of people or maybe this is the same? I think they're bad actors in the world, one of whom may sit in our White House. Um, you know, I just think that's life, right? I think there's bad actors in regular tech. I do. Bad actors everywhere. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, just the think the biggest scandal in tech or in the broader ecosystem Uber. last year was not a health tech company. Right. Thank God. Right. Right. <laughs> so, do you think there's like a, a pressure around growth story here? Because if you're an investor in, a, in some of these companies and the valuations are crazy and there's no way they were almost like set up to fail. I've do you said think that the I've said for years that the worst job in healthcare is being the head of sales for one of these companies that's raised a Series B valuation that's way out over it's where yeah. it is. Because the, the pressure's immense. You know, you're out there publicly. So I do think there's a lot of pressure. I, I have a slightly more nuanced, because of my entrepreneurial bend, I guess. It's like you get into these companies, each round, you realize once you're in it, oh my God, I have to raise so much capital to make this business work. And then there's this binary thing. I could either lie to raise capital, or I could tell the truth and my company goes under, all my employees lose, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't get to go on my mission, et cetera. And so you can see how somebody falls into that trap. And I think that's actually the human part of that just happens naturally across all industries, mm -hmm. by the way, not just health. I agree with this. And that's what that's I think actually happens. That's the weight that I'm talking about. I think you and I are talking yeah. about the same thing. I, I think you're putting but it into a very personal contact. Yeah, to healthcare yeah. at all. I think there needs to be more recognition that healthcare changes on an evolutionary pace, not a revolutionary pace. And these companies think that there is some big thing they need to achieve, some big story they need to get out there, raise money from some big investor at a high valuation. That isn't going to determine the success of these companies. And you need to pace yourself and calibrate yourself. Mm -hmm. Tom just got a best of 2018 quote in there. That was great. Nice job. That was very tweetable. I'm, I'm evolutionary, already, I'm not tweeting revolutionary. Yeah. You, wait, you you're are, tweeting I'm, right now? I'm tweeting. You are so I'm tweeting tweet? your comment. You are oh, no. so. Oh, no. Which no, 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 no. By the way, this is super fun. I knew we'd get three great people to hate together, so thank you. Um, sitting here January 11th, 2018. Hard to believe we're in 2018. Finish this sentence for me. 2018 in healthcare will be remembered for. Oh God, okay, well reality, probably I think a little bit of disappointment and some sanity checking. And I would say there's gonna be a few more big scandals in the space hmm. by the end of the year. And that's actually one of Venrock's predictions from this past year. Hmm. And what I hope is that this is a year in which 
maybe we bring the patient a little bit more into the discussion when we talk about healthcare. And that's been, it's been shocking being a JPM. You said that JPM. last year, by the way. I said that last year. On but this I still podcast. <laughs> Nobody's brought, like none of my meetings this year have we talked about, you know, what is the actual patient experience. Christine, there. 2018 healthcare with member four. It's just going to be humble pie, I think, for high flyers. It's going to continue. I mean, we're in that phase right now. It's going to continue, I think. We're all going to look back and go, mm. humble pie for all the really hot companies that we just pot a bunch of money into. Um, and then the aspirational is, I hope consumers start caring about privacy. Like, oh. I say this every year too, but I hope they start thinking about all of this stuff a little bit more and value companies who keep that packed versus companies who don't. Evolutionary humble pie. Tom? I'm going to say flight to quality. <laughs> the, the gap between the winners and losers is going to get bigger. The successful companies are going to have no trouble raising money, maintaining a lot of their valuations, and you're going to see them start to acquire some of the have-nots, and you're going to see some of these guys be acquired. You know, there's going to be some sobriety mixed in with that, but the strong companies are going to see good momentum this year. I hope, and, and this goes to someone who's invested in the MA space, I hope that this is the year that we see the prior three or four years of innovation in Medicare with elderly people shift to Medicaid and that we start trying to figure out how to deliver really effective care models for the very poor people in this country that need healthcare. I couldn't agree more and would love to see that. I think it's the hard. current climate in Washington is gonna hard. make that a hard prospect. All right, guys. You didn't give us yours. I just hope that I get to continue to work with great people like you, seriously, and they work in healthcare, because it matters. So, thank you. Really fun. I think all of us are almost done with 2018 JP. I got Morgan. another like eight meetings. Do you really? I got two I'm more heading hours. to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Guys, thank you so right, much for taking time. This is awesome. Really Thanks appreciate it. For listening to a healthy dose please subscribe through itunes and if you have any suggestions for topics or guests email the guys at steve at bvp.com or trevor at oxyandpartners.com we